Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Wow. Special moment, yeah? I love that we are a people who chase after the presence of God, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Good. Why don't you turn and say hello to someone? Say, I'm so glad that you're at church with me today. It's great to have you here online. A warm welcome. It's great to have you with us uh, as well. As you're doing that, why don't you take a seat? Thank you very much, Liz. How are we doing this morning? We're good. If we have not yet met, it's, I usually say met yet. I'm changing things up. If we have not yet met, uh, my name is Jono, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you today. And I want to say a welcome to Dream Sunday. Yeah, that's good. There was, we'll get more excited as it goes, I promise. Uh, but, but I love, you know, t- t- Sundays like today, uh, whether you're in the room with us or, or maybe you're watching this uh, online now or later on in the moment, Sundays like today are really important for us as a church. I don't, I don't know if you realize that. Yeah, I mean, every Sunday, you know, we don't take any Sundays off. Uh, every Sunday is important. We believe that God moves every Sunday. But, but moments like today are really important to us as a church because we, we gather around dreams, around vision, both corporately and individually. You know, I think as a church, we could, we could say that uh, something that we hold true is we believe the best is yet to come. Right? And we don't say that as some sort of like, toxic positivity sort of statement of like, ah, oh, life only ever gets better, and it's just all increase and, 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 and amazingness, right? Sunshine and lollipops, not quite been the experience of life that I've had. There's plenty of sunshine and lollipops, but sometimes there are other things too, yeah? But we believe that, that like I said, because of the cross, it means that the, the worst thing is never the last thing. We believe that the best is yet to come, and that at the very least, we know one day everything's going to be made right. That we are moving towards uh, an eternity with our, our Lord and Savior. That God is good. That God has won the, the victory over death and sin. And we live worshiping that risen Savior. Yeah, we know that at the very least. So, so at least in that way, the best is yet to come. Yeah. Right? You might have had a good day yesterday. Don't think it's better than heaven. I mean, we can discuss it, right? But, but more than just that, we don't just believe that the best is yet to come one day in eternity, but that actually as a people of faith, we get to be a part of what God is doing here and now. Yeah. That we get to be a part of something of the kingdom of heaven being established in, in the world that we live in here and now, that we can partner with God in what he is doing to bring more beauty, to bring more truth, to bring more love, to bring more hope, to bring more peace. Basically what I'm saying is if you are a person of faith, it's Christmas all year round. Now, it might not feel like it's Christmas all year round, right? But we live in the reality that God is present with us, Emmanuel, not just the four weeks of the Advent season, but every week of the year. On the mountaintops and in the valleys, that God is present with us. And so, if God is present with us, if we get to be a part of what He is doing, then Sundays like today, in which we dare to dream, are essential. Because again, if, if that's what it's about, then we're not called to simply sit on our hands, enjoy life. We are called to enjoy life. If you want to sit on your hands, you know, that's up to you. Sometimes when it gets colder in the Christchurch winters, it's a nice way to bring circulation back, right? It's just a helpful life hack. Right, but we get to be a part of something. Now, God's love for us is, is not based on whether we do that or not. But I would suggest our experience of life, our satisfaction, the joy that we find 
We get to be a part of what God is doing. And so that's why we have days like today, Dream Sundays a number of times in our year, just to take a moment to bring an intentionality to that. To say, hey, we're all chasing after something. We're all living lives that are heading in a certain way, some sort of a trajectory. Are we partnering with God in the things that He is doing, or are we just kind of on autopilot? And an invitation, right? Never an obligation, never a, hey, you have to. But, hey, we think that God is doing something in us corporately and that God has something for you to be a part of individually, to bring something of heaven to earth. Would you step into it? Would you dare to dream? And so I love that today we're on the back of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Yeah, that we've taken as, as a church, whether you've been a part of it personally or you're just riding on our coattails, you know, grace to you. I've got enough faith to believe that as the people of God come together and pray and fast, that whether you are a part of it or not, I'm praying that God blesses you, that God speaks to you, that there is some momentum in your life, that as we do that, because we don't want to just have an us dream. The world's not anti-dreams, right? We live in a world that loves dreams. It's just most of the dreams that we encounter are, hey, get a bigger house or, or get a nicer car or a better paying job or take a few me- more weeks holiday or go holiday in a nicer place, right? Then you'll be satisfied. Then you'll be happy. Then things will work out. And none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but all of them fail us when we ask them to be God. And so we come into, into today on the back of prayer and fasting because we're saying, God, we want to dream with you. We don't want to just tell you the ways in which, you know, we don't, you're not Santa. We're not bringing you our, our wish list of things to do. We want to ask God, where are you doing something? And where do we get to be a part of it? Right? We want to hear from God. We want to walk in the plans that he has for us, his purposes, his dreams, and his destinies. That's setting the scene. Is that all right? It's good, because that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you turn with me to, to what has been our theme passage for, for all of this year, Matthew chapter 28. I'm reading from the message version, because we've read this so many times, I just thought I'd change versions a few times, because otherwise we go on autopilot and, and click out if you're anything like me. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. This has kind of been our banner passage for the year. It says this, Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee. Headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. One last time, why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for, for today. I thank you for this moment as, as we gather together. I thank you for, for, for the faith and intention in the room today. Say, God, we want to hear from you. God, we don't want to just go into 2024 on autopilot. God, we want to partner with you in what you are doing. God, it is you who have the words of life. Where else would we turn? And so, God, I pray today that, that as we gather, as we look at your word, as we pray together, as we dream together, that it wouldn't be my ideas. God, that it wouldn't be me convincing us of anything. God, where it is of me, would it fall to the ground? But where it is of you, would it land in our hearts? Would it take root? And would it bear fruit, God, that we would leave here knowing that we encountered something of the risen God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So so as we just read, our our theme for this year, kind of the banner theme for the entire year has been 
that was weak, right? Like, I'm, I'm not grading you. Grace, Jesus' grace is abundant. My grace less so. Um, our theme for this year has been... Oh, that was much better. That was amazing, right? That, that we, are, we believe we are called to be a people of mission. We are called to, to go into all of the world to make disciples baptizing and, and teaching. Right, and, and kind of basically everything else that we've done this year, everything that we've talked about, our focus and, and services has been built around that idea. Because we believe that an encounter with God uh, results in a missional response. That encountering something of who God is, His love for you is not just like, oh, I feel good about myself. It, it is. You do feel good about yourself when you encounter the love of God. But it's more than that. It's, hey, I feel loved and also I feel compelled to share this love. That an encounter with God turns us into people of, of missions. And, and, and so we looked at what does it look like to be a house of prayer? To be a people who draw near to God, who make room for God, who, who prioritize that. And what does it not just look like to be a house of prayer, but to be a house of prayer for all nations? This idea that it is prayer and action, that it's like inhaling and exhaling, that they are tied together, that we encounter God, and as a result, we feel compelled and in a good way to be sent out to make a difference in the world. Whilst acknowledging that, that we can't do it on our own. Right, that, that we have a relationship with Jesus for ourselves, but that we cannot follow Jesus on our own. That it's a group thing, that we do this in community. And so it's so important to, to be intentional in, in doing that, if only because we know that in this world we will have trouble. Yeah. Right, that there will be amazing moments and there will be trying moments. And so how do we have a God who is not just a, a happy times, good times God, but a God who meets us in the valley, who is, who is with us in the hardship? How, if we go into a troubled world, do we trust in the middle of it. How do we join Jesus in his, his mission? And so today, then, I kind of want to circle back, really, to, to ask that question. If we're talking about joining Jesus in the mission that he has, as we've seen in Matthew 28, what is the mission of Jesus, right? Well, oh, well he came to seek and save the lost, right? To, to die for our sins. I don't know how I'd do that. I want to say we're not called to be saviors, but we are called to follow Jesus in what he is doing. There is a mission that we can join him. And I love, I think it's the, the best example of this, how Jesus himself describes his mission in, in Luke 4. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah. In particular, he reads Isaiah chapter 61. Now, Isaiah 61 is kind of, if you wanted to, to find a linchpin of the Old Testament in terms of what is this all about, what is happening, how does this point towards Jesus, that's Isaiah 61. Like it's this beautiful uh, passage that was written at a time in which Israel had been reduced to a powerless nation full of grief and mourning, conquered and, and ruled by, by other kingdoms. And Isaiah 61 is this kind of poetic reminder to the people of God that there is a coming Messiah who is going to bring about the kingdom of heaven, that they are in the middle of trouble that they are in the middle of a broken world, but that it will not always be this way, that a Messiah is coming. And then it describes this Messiah in kind of seven acts of, of restoration or recreation, of, of this is what it's going to look like. It starts by saying this Messiah is going to come to bring good news to the oppressed, continues to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to release the captives, those who are bound up into liberation. Right, those are the first three. And then it kind of takes this moment right at the center of the seven. It says, the Messiah is coming to declare the year of the Lord's favor, to declare the, the year of Yahweh's favor. And this is a, a reference to an ancient Israelite practice of the year of Jubilee. 
Right, this moment that's meant to happen every seven times seven years when everything resets. Slaves and prisoners gain their freedom. All debts are canceled. Can I get an amen, right? Like wiping your mortgage. That would be, we should reinstate that now. Uh, Families receive back their ancestral lands. It's this radical practice as a sign to point forward to what is going to happen. Hey, we live in a broken world, but every seven times seven years, we will celebrate the fact that it will not always be broken. That there is a good God coming, there is a Messiah coming to make things right. And what we understand when we read this through the the, the New Testament, as we see, is talking about the coming of Jesus, right? And his establishment of this new heaven and new earth. And and this list continues. The the fifth thing uh, that it talks about is that that for those who are being oppressed, that they're going to be comforted. That this Messiah is coming not just to free the oppressed, but to comfort those who mourn. And in the last two, kind of we can follow through as you read it like a list. You're like, yeah, one, two, three, I kind of get that. Yeah, four, kind of get that. Five-ish, and then six and seven. You're like, I feel like I've lost the list, right? Because what happens is the last two acts go on to describe how this, this Messiah will give these people who have been oppressed and now set free, he will give them new clothes, Right? Well, I mean, I'm not anti-new clothes, right? Like, no one's like, okay, is that like a biblical thing? Like, next Sunday I'm going to come along and give me a t-shirt? Like, what is this, what is this looking, right? right? Like, we're like, Oprah, everyone gets sneakers. You get a new outfit. That's not what we're doing, just to be clear. Church budget does not allow, but um, we can dream, right? I, I established, though, that that means when I was in youth ministry, one of the ways we used to fill the room was by doing like a, a sneaker giveaway. Biblical. So I'm just saying, there you go. You can see it's in the Bible. Uh, but, but these new clothes, and it's not just new clothes because like, hey, you've been in jail and you've got old tatty clothes. And so, you know, it's actually more than that. This, it's, you know, it's hope, it's freedom, it's, it's new clothes. But they're not just any new clothes. They're priestly garments. There's, there's a crown-like turban. There's, there's garments of praise. There's anointing oil. What's happening is it's this imagery that this Messiah who is coming is going to, to duplicate himself. He's going to take the authority and the mantle that is on him, and he's going to clothe these new anointed ones to share in his mission to spread life. That this Messiah has come to make right what is wrong, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring love. And that he's doing it, and then he's inviting those who who he has just redeemed, just delivered, to be a part of it as well. It goes on, this Messiah calls these people that he's, he's bringing into this mission of spreading life. He calls them oaks of righteousness, the planting of Yahweh for the display of his beauty. He says that they will rebuild the ruins of old. They will reestablish former deserted places. They will renew the devastated cities, the deserted places of many generations. That, that there's, there's this invitation to bring restoration to what is broken, acting like a bridge between heaven and earth. Amen. Right? Between what is not and what should be. A sort of priesthood, a new priesthood to the world. And then I love Isaiah 61. You know, often it's fair enough. Jesus himself, he just reads the start. And then he knows that people get lost in the second bit. It's a bit too poetic, right? But I love how it, it ends. It ends with this beautiful garden imagery. And you know that the Bible is like warmed up, that it's really hitting when it goes back to garden imagery, right? That, that's where it starts. And that's when whenever anyone wants to really land a point, they go back to the garden. Like this is how it is. It's meant to be. And he describes these people, these, these new priests, Freshly clothed, right? He describes them as a a garden, but not any ordinary garden. He describes them as plants that are sprouting righteousness. Like I can grow some tomatoes, some beans. Like how do I grow righteousness? What is that? Righteousness means right relationship between people, right? What what he's saying is it's it's a picture of peace. 
It's a picture of hope. It's a picture of love to a people in a broken world. So when we talk about the mission of Jesus, right, when we talk about Matthew 28, hey, come follow me and, and go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I've taught you. What has Jesus taught them? Oh, just Isaiah 61, right? Just like go out, be peacemakers, bind up the brokenhearted, bring healing, bring transformation, wear fancy new clothes. Not, not quite the new clothes, but, but step into this mantle that God has for you. And we look at that, we're like, oh, cool. If we answer a little bit overwhelming, right? Okay, that, yep, that seems like a fairly high bar. That's a, I'm, thank you for the invitation, Jesus. Uh, how, do I, how do I do that? And how do I understand the second half of Isaiah 61? Because I got, I got confused, to be honest, Jono. I, you started talking about clothes. I started thinking about Christmas presents. You've lost me. <laughs> I, I want to give maybe a, a, a different uh, analogy that I think can, can be accessible, right? Unless you're here and you're like, yep, oak for the beauty of Jesus. Got that locked in. Uh, you can just tune out for this next story. But I want to tell you another story. Is that all right? I want to tell you a story that I think illustrates our call as a people. It's uh, the story on, on the 27th of August, 1883, the island of Krakatoa erupted. Uh, and the explosion was, was so big that it decimated the, the island of Krakatoa, uh, destroying over three quarters of the landmass and killing about 36,000 people. The explosion was, was so loud that it was heard as far away as Saigon, Bangkok, Manila, and Perth. The, the sky turned so red as a result of the outpouring of ash and fire that fire services were called as far away as North America, the other side of the world, because people saw the red on the horizon and assumed that there must be a fire coming their sort of way. It, it was massive, one of the biggest explosions in recorded history. And seven weeks after Krakatoa had burst apart, a, a small team ventured to the island to see what remained. And, and as they landed, they found that the shape and the form of the island itself had been rearranged. Much of what was once solid had slipped into the sea. Two of its mountain peaks had, had disappeared completely. And, and whereas before the eruption, Krakatoa had been blanketed with, with trees and animal life, was, was a teeming tropical island, now it was, was deserted. There was just volcanic rock and ash. All animal and plant life had been obliterated. In, in 1886, three years after this eruption, the first botanical expedition arrived on Krakatoa, again, to see, man, what's going on on this island? What's, what's happening here? And, and when they landed three years later, they found some, some mosses, some, some algae, a few flowering plants, and 11 species of fern. Someone was excited about fern. They counted them. Right, 11 species of fern. By 1887, they returned uh, a year later, and they found young trees as well as dense grassland and, and many ferns now. We've gone beyond 11. A few years on, in 1889, they found butterflies, beetles, and even a monitor lizard. And then finally, in 1906, there were hundreds of species of plants covering the summit in green and a grove of trees uh, around, around the shore. Today, if you went to Krakatoa, the island is covered in thousands of species of plants and home to hundreds of animals. Right now, now, scientists were initially shocked. This is the first kind of time that they'd observed a, a complete slate wiped clean sort of moment. And, and Krakatoa is an island, right? It's out in the middle of nowhere. Previously, you'll have bushfires come through and we're like, oh yeah, things get, get reestablished, get regenerated. We get how that happens. But like, how did Krakatoa, this remote island in the Pacific, become, go from, from nothing to something again? Like what, what happened here? 
And, and so they began to speculate. Maybe it was, first of all, the arrival of algae kind of formed some sort of a, a, a base to, to live in that the spores of mosses and ferns could be established in instead of the bare soil. And, and maybe as those ferns and mosses, the 11 ferns will know, started to grow, that they created something of, of some soil for, for other plants to start to, to take root in. And that then as, as those small plants started to grow into bigger plants, they created environments in which even bigger plants could start to live, which then created environments and habitats for animals and, and even more plants in a process that now, in part because of the observation of what happened at Krakatoa, we know is, or we call ecological restoration or regeneration. Jono, what does, what does that have to do with Isaiah 61? Well, this idea of, of life coming to a barren land of things being wiped out, of things not being as they should be, but, but something being reestablished, something being regenerated is used throughout the Bible as a theme, right? We read it, it was referenced in Isaiah 61. That one day, like I said, we go back to the garden. That one day the goodness of Eden will be restored. And the invitation of Jesus is to partner in that here and now to work in step with the Spirit and being a part of the regeneration that we see on Krakatoa, of something that was nothing, something that was wiped out, something that was not as it should be, being restored to a place of life, to a place of plenty, to a place of beauty, to a place of, of peace. It's bringing good news and freedom to the oppressed. It's bringing comfort to the broken, to, to be a people who bring life to desolate places, who are a garden whose fruit is peace. Right? This is the invitation when we talk about, hey, we are commissioned. What we're saying is that we are commissioned, we are invited to embrace this way of life, this mission for ourselves, and to invite others. Right? This, is, this is what Jesus is referring to when he reads Isaiah 61, and it's, it's recorded in Luke as like the first thing that he does really to officially start his ministry. He goes to his hometown, he stands up in the temple, and he reads Isaiah 61, and he declares to the temple, that prophecy, that hope, that dream is going to be fulfilled in me. I've come to make things right. I've come to reestablish the garden. I've come to bring regeneration that has been longed for. And it's what, at the end of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 28, he invites his followers and us to be invited to be a part of. This is the invitation that Jesus gives, and as he gives it, as Jesus gives this invitation, it says that he was undeterred. I don't know if you caught that. Right, we'll put it back up on the screen. That's beautiful Krakatoa. We'll put Matthew 28 back up on the screen. It says that as Jesus gave this invitation, he was undeterred. What was he undeterred by? Well, he was undeterred by this. Some, though, held back. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. I don't know about you, but to me, this Dream Sunday, as we look again at this invitation to, to be a part of what God is doing, to join Him in the dreams that He has for us, our friends, our family, the world in which we live, this idea that as Jesus brings this commission, some weren't so sure, it makes me pause. It makes me ask myself two questions. The first question I ask myself when I see this is, as they encounter the risen Jesus, this Jesus who they've seen move, who they've seen teach, they've been doing life with for some of them up to three years, as they encounter him post the cross, and he invites them to be a part of it, that some were like, oh, I'm not so sure, Jesus. I think we need to be humble enough to be like, well, if, if that could happen to them, maybe sometimes I don't feel so sure either. 
Maybe sometimes, maybe even a day like today, as we stand and say, hey, there's a dream, there's an invitation, there's a mission to be a part of, there's something in us that goes, mm. I mean, maybe, but maybe 2025. Maybe I'll wait. Maybe once, John, I just need to, to sort some things out, and maybe there's, see, I want to ask the question, are we holding back? What, what are we giving our lives to? Because as I said, these people have seen Jesus' ministry, his crucifixion and his resurrection, and yet they held back. Because it's not that they're just bad people. It's just that they're people. Because it's always going to be in human nature to find a reason to, to hold back. It's always going to take faith. Following after Jesus will always require a leap. Right, we see this in, in Matthew uh, 8. Jesus' ministry is just kind of getting started. It's just gaining notoriety, and, and people are wanting to follow him. And so one scribe comes up to him and says, Teacher, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responds in, in a way that, you know, it's not from the pastoral handbook. When people are like, hey, I want to be a part of what you're a part of. The usual response is like, yeah, that'll be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. Come with us. Let's do it. Jesus' response is instead, he says, hey, the foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus, and his crew, they've got nowhere to lay their heads. Right, what Jesus is saying is that this won't be easy. Someone comes up to him and says, hey, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to follow after you. And Jesus is like, all right, just understand, there are no five-star hotels on the road. We are going into ministry, and it's going to be hard. You are not going to enjoy this all of the time. You won't be comfortable. You won't be secure. This will be hard. Again, I'm not giving Jesus any pointers, but that's not necessarily the main way you are taught how to respond to people. Who are like, hey, let's go on mission. Are you sure? It's going to be real hard. Right? That's not how we do the salvation altar call at the end of the services. Hey, follow Jesus. It's going to be tricky. The reality is, is life is tricky whether you're following Jesus or not. But following Jesus doesn't make life easy. And this is what he's saying. Then another man comes up to, to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you, but would you just allow me to bury my father first? Now, the first one we kind of get, right? Like Jesus is giving, hey, setting expectations. I don't want you to be whining when you're not getting, you know, your, your, your B&B or whatever it is on the road. No one's making you eggs on toast. Like you need to have realistic expectations about what we're setting out to. But this one, like, hey, I just want to go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. You're like, mm. again, Jesus, I want to tell you how to do your job, but like, it seems fairly harsh, right? Interestingly, what some scholars, and it's not a scholarly consensus, but what some scholars suggest is actually what's happening here is the, the man is coming and saying, hey, I just need to wait for my father to die, w which is a weird thing to say in our cultural context. But what's happening there is he's saying, hey, once my father dies, I become the heir of the house. I inherit the household. And so I can follow you with basically no risks. Because if this doesn't work out, I've got a household, I've got wealth, I've got property, I've got possessions to return to. But if I don't hang around and keep in my father's good graces, then he might disinherit me. And so Jesus, if I follow you and my father's still alive, then he might choose that, that I'm choosing the wrong thing. And I might come back to find that my father has dead and I have inherited nothing. So Jesus, I just need to secure my future before I follow you. And Jesus says, no, no, you, this is not, we don't do this with backup plans. If you wait for it to be easy, if you wait for it to be comfortable, all of a sudden it's starting to reflect what he said to the first person, right? Then you're going to be waiting forever. If you wait for the easy time to do it, then you will never do it. See, I think so often when we hold back, I know in my life I hold back because I'm waiting for, for a time in which it's all going to be good. 
It's all going to be easy or fun or convenient or comfortable, and then I'll step out on the dream, right? Once everything else is tidily tucked away, but it doesn't seem to be the invitation of Jesus. So we see Jesus here in Matthew 28. Up until now, they've been following a a rabbi, and, and they can go back to the lives that they've been living. Right, he's died, they've kind of been, they've had to go through that process of like, hey, we thought that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire, hard for a dead dude to do that, what are we going to do? And as they've kind of maybe come back to grips with that, gone back to what they know, Jesus reappears. Like, Jesus, we're just really hard for us, right? We've got some whiplash here, we were all in, and then you died, so we made other plans, and now you're here again, it's just a little bit awkward, like, what are we going to do? And, and it says that, that some of them, you know, they hold back from worshipping Jesus, Right, because if they, if they worship Jesus, it's one thing to follow a rabbi. It's another thing to worship a man as God. And so they say, hey, if we worship Jesus, we'll be committing heresy within the temple system. We'll be cast out of society. If people realize what we're doing, if people realize that we are treating this, what we thought was a man, not just as a man, but as God in flesh, we're going against Second Temple Judaism. We're going against the established idea of our culture. They're burning the bridges behind them. And so some of them, afraid of that, they hold back. Which leads us to the second question. What are they holding back from? What is it to worship? Right? Worship, essentially, at its most elemental, is to love and to, to value. And as I've already alluded to, to to some who'd been following Jesus, he'd been a wise teacher, he'd been a good man, but to worship Jesus, that was to say that he was more than that. Not just a wise man with some helpful ideas, because it's one thing to admire Jesus, it's a whole other thing to worship him. And worship doesn't just mean singing, worship is a way of, of relationship. There's this moment as they encounter Jesus, the risen Jesus, where it's a shift from Jesus as a good rabbi to God in the flesh, come to dwell among us, Emmanuel. A good rabbi entertains you and provokes you, but God in the flesh, that's a whole other thing because you don't just believe. No longer is God a distant idea. You follow a God who comes to you. You follow a God who is not distant and far away, but wants to know you personally. And can you worship and not follow? We could put it a, a, another way, maybe using some more uh, accessible language than, than worshiping, right? We don't worship many things in our day-to-day life. We could talk about love, right? What is it to love something? To use a personal example, uh, I could say, I love rock climbing, right? I love rock climbing. But there is a group of people in this church who go rock climbing on a regular basis, and I join them sometimes, <laughs> Right? And so I could say I love rock climbing, but if I haven't been rock climbing for, I don't know, Matt, like a couple months, is that really love? Or is that, hey, at one stage I quite enjoyed this thing, but now my behavior is not lining up with what I'm saying. I'm professing, hey, this is a thing, but I'm not behaving in the same way. Do I love rock climbing or do I just love the idea of it? Do I love the, the memory of it? Love is just tender emotions until we act on it. Love is an idea, love is an action, real love is acted on, just like real worship is not just tender emotions or or thoughts and beliefs towards Jesus, it's a lived following. See, as a church, our stated goal is to equip you for life through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we say that, when we say faith in Jesus Christ, we don't just mean some good ideas, right? We don't mean, oh man, we're going to give you like a sweet little book that you're going to be able to tick all the boxes. Oh, I've got my orthodoxy down, like my theology on pat. I can say the right things, right? We want good theology. We want orthodoxy, but it's more than a set of ideas. 
It's an active following. Faith in Jesus Christ is not a list of things that we believe. It's a way of living, following after Jesus. We believe that we are commissioned, that we are a called people. And so our faith isn't just a set of ideas, but it's a lived out way of being. See, these two things are tied together, worship and comfort. Right? Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, not sure about risking it all. For, for Krakatoa to regenerate, to go from nothing to, to a place of life again, the seeds that had, had washed up, be it kind of by animals bringing them or, or the sea or air, however they might have got there, those seeds needed to germinate. Which is why for a period of time, people would come to Krakatoa and it, it still seemed like there was no life there. The seeds had arrived. Seeds would have been arriving basically from the moment after the explosion. That's how dispersal works. They're there, but those seeds are not coming to life. They're not germinating. They sat dormant. Nothing grew because for a seed to come to life, it has to be activated. And, and a seed is only activated. When a seed is activated, it begins a, a process of rapid growth. But for that to start, the seed has to be placed in the right conditions the right environment to, to trigger its growth. On the outside of a seed are chemicals that, that pick up, hey, where am I? Is this good soil or not? And once those chemicals recognize this is good soil, they start the, the germination process. Once they recognize where they are, and a seed can sit dormant for years. Right? The, the oldest seed ever to be germinated was discovered in the ruins of King Herod's place in Masada in Israel. In 2008, a group of researchers took these seeds and they planted them in soil. When they planted these seeds, the seeds had been radiocarbon dated to be over 2,000 years old. They're old seeds. All right, you guys got some stuff at the back of your cupboard. You're like, is this still good? This is older. <laughs> and maybe don't use that stuff, I'm just saying, right? Right? And, and so they planted this, and amazingly, after 2,000 years of sitting dormant, when put in good soil, the seed germinated, growing into a palm plant that now stands over 10 feet tall. Right? Because when the seed is put in the right condition, even after 2,000 years, a message is sent that, hey, this is a safe place to grow, and the potential in the seed is released, and life bursts forth. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, that for a seed to release its exponential potential, for a seed to grow, to produce a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown, the seed must be placed in good soil. And good soil, at least according to Jesus, is when someone hears the word and gets the full meaning. Not just as a bunch of helpful ideas. Not just as some nice teachings from a, a guy who happened to live a couple of thousand years ago, but as not just the equivalent of ancient life hacks, but encountering something, realizing, hey, this is talking worship. This is talking about God. Jesus is God come to us. He is more than just a man who once lived, the earth, lived on the earth, but realizing God came to us. Everything has changed, and so I need to follow in contrast, Jesus teaches that bad soil was trying to live a life of comfort, what he called the concerns of the world. See, for a seed to, to grow, it has to be activated, it has to germinate. And germination can't be undone. Right? When a seed germinates, it's going all in. It can't hold back any longer. When a seed germinates, it takes in water, and it uses that water to do two things. The first thing it does is it weakens its, its hard protective layer. 
the thing that allowed it to stay dormant for thousands of years potentially, that keeps it safe to grow, the seed needs to remove that. And so it uses that water to weaken its protective layer so that it can start to grow through it. It removes what once was indestructible and it splits its coating, it becomes vulnerable. And then it uses that water to start to access its food stores. Inside the seed is enough nutrients, enough food to get started, but only to get started once and not to get started for long. And, and so it, it uses this, this water to access these nutrients to grow its first root and shoot, searching for nutrients and sunlight. I'm almost done as the, the band comes up to start to join me. To grow, a seed has to go all in. And, and I think the same is true of us. For us to grow as people, for us to grow as people who are following after Jesus, we can hold back. We can be not sure about worship. We can keep back to ourselves, keep in a place of protection and safety, not sure about going all in, or we can go all in. We can drop our walls with God. We can bring our vulnerability. And so the question I simply want to ask to you this Dream Sunday is, is what's 2024 going to look like for you? Because if you don't decide, it'll be decided for you. And we tend more towards comfort and avoidance than we do self-sacrificial love. Right? We tend towards things that often feel good in the moment but aren't helpful in the long term. Strong temporary desires rather than deep persisting ones. And so I wonder if you would take the moment to ask yourself, what is 2024 going to be like for you? Will it be defined as a year of trust or a year of self-protection? See, I think if, if we're commissioned to join Jesus in his mission, to be a people of, of restoration, bringing good news and freedom to the oppressed, comfort to the broken, to be a people who bring life to desolate places, a garden whose fruit is peace, we don't want to hold back in our worship. And so with that in mind, we want to look to 2024 and we want to say, hey, our, our aim, our goal, our theme, our intention for 2024, our declaration of who we want to be is we want to be free people. Right? If we said that this year was a year where we embrace the idea of commission, 2024, we're saying we want to be free people. We want to be a people who live unrestricted in 2024. We believe that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we're declaring, hey, 2024, it is our prayer, it is our hope that, that Equippers Church is going to be a place full of free people. Full of people who are pursuing the life that God has for them, stepping out into His calling, into His commission, into His mission, dropping our walls of self-protection and past hurt, free to live as free people. Peace Gazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, puts it this way, the critical issue on the journey with God is not, am I happy, but am I free? We don't want to live a life of convenience or comfort. We don't want to live a life where where we're pursuing feeling good only to find that we've put ourselves in a place of restriction. We don't want to pursue happiness. Happiness is not wrong. But more than that, we want to pursue freedom. And, and, and freedom can get a bit mixed up, right? This isn't freedom like, don't tell me what to do. We're not going to, you know, all put on leather jackets with sweet studs on them. I mean, we might, right? But not because we're being punk rock. Right? This isn't about anarchy for the sake of anarchy. It's, it's not freedom from obedience. We can say this. It's, it's not freedom from as much as it is freedom for. Free to follow. Free to do what we feel called to do. And we're going to really get into this, unpacking this in the new year. But just as a bit of a teaser, something to mull over before we dive into this new year is 
What, what is freedom? If we talk about we want to be a free people, what does the Bible say about freedom? I am almost done. I know this feels like I'm going back into preaching, but it's a short one, I promise. The place to look, obviously, is the, the book of Exodus, right? The story of the people of Israel being freed from Egypt. And, and the story of Exodus is celebrated in Passover, the ultimate kind of freedom festival, remembering when God rescued his people from slavery. And, and many times since then, the Israelites have been enslaved again, they've been oppressed again, but, but Passover would come around each year as a reminder to declare the belief that they are God's free people, and that one day they'll be free again, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a freedom-loving God, the God who rescues slaves and makes them his children and his heirs. And so it's no accident that Jesus comes and brings his ministry to a head at what we call Easter at Passover. This moment in which Israel is celebrating what God had done and, and praying for what God would do, Jesus comes to bring a truer freedom. Freedom not just from, from momentary slavery, but from the slavery behind all oppression, the slavery of sin and death. See, the trouble with, with Exodus is, the trouble with our journey with freedom is, as N.T. Wright says, you can take Israel out of Egypt, but it's much harder to take Egypt out of Israel. As soon as the people are free, as soon as they're across the Red Sea, as soon as they're escaped from Egypt, they start to grumble that they haven't got enough to eat and drink. And this begins this pattern over the next 40 years because it's only a short step from gratitude to grumbling. And, and so they start to look and, 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 and they start to think, man, if only we could go back to Egypt. If only we could go back to slavery because there at least we had enough to eat. There we had leeks and onions and, and our bellies were full. They embraced this thing of, hey, we will trade our, our liberty and our hope for a temporary satisfaction. Paul in both Romans and, and Galatians, he, he talks about this moment. In Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, he tells a story of being in Christ as this new exodus. That freedom is not just for the people of Israel, but that Jesus came to set us all free. And, and he finishes it. He lands this, this idea in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 16, where he essentially says the point of freedom is not to go back to Egypt, not to do what the, the Old Testament cycle is of finding freedom and then getting enslaved again, finding freedom and then accidentally entering into oppression again. But he says we did not receive a spirit of slavery to live in fear again, but a spirit of sonship. Because it's one thing to stop being a slave. It's another thing to learn how to be a son, a child of God. As Paul says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not, not for self-indulgence, but to serve in love. He goes on in some translations to say, through love become slaves to one another. See, there are some freedoms that just generate more forms of slavery. Right, we can choose to do whatever we want to do, but if we use our freedom to dive headlong into destructive ways of life, of, of anger and envy and selfishness and spite, those things will enslave us. For a while, we'll choose to be that way. We'll choose to respond in that way. We'll choose because it feels good in the moment, but, but over time, at some stage, we will become anger. We will become envy. We will become selfishness. We will become spite. And we won't be able to stop being angry or envious or selfish or spiteful even when we want to. And so our declaration, our hope, our goal, the thing we are going to spend 2024 searching after, pursuing together is how can we be a free people? How can we be a people who are not confined by sin and the slavery of the flesh that we so often encounter? How can we be a people who embrace the way of Jesus, learning instead to embrace love? 
to even being slaves to love? Is there a fear that sets us free? And so for now, as you stand to your feet, as we look to a new year, as as we dream together, I'd simply invite you to ask yourself, what freedom might be waiting for me in 2024? What freedom might be waiting for others that I can be a part of? As it says in Isaiah 61, to bring freedom to the captives, to bring restoration, to bring righteousness, to bring peace. We have a dream as a church that we would be free people. And just like with Jesus on that moment where they encounter him, I believe that starts with worship, with choosing to acknowledge God as God, because if we don't believe he's God, then how can he free us? And so in a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song of worship. But just before they do, often when we finish our services, we have a moment where I invite you to, to pray a prayer. And for many of us in the room, we've prayed this prayer before, right? And, and we pray along as we pray it. But really, we're like, oh, this is for someone else in the room who's making a, a, a new decision or, or recommitting their lives. And, and I'm just adding my voice, so otherwise it feels awkward if they're the only one praying it, right? Like I'm just doing a favor. I would say it's fine, but... Today in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And I wonder if for you, it wouldn't just be a moment of recommitment, that you wouldn't bring a fresh level of intention to it, to say, Jesus, I'm encountering you today. Worship is more than singing. I'm going to invite you into my heart in a fresh way. God, I want to go into 2024 pursuing freedom, and freedom starts with an encounter with you. Just heads about as eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. I'd just love if you'd take a moment just to create space for God. To receive from Him. That as we pray this prayer, it would be your declaration. Not just words, but the posture of your heart. Church, would you repeat these words after me? Jesus, today I come to you. Thank you that you came to me, that you love me, that you came to free me. Today, I receive freedom, and I receive it by embracing you as Lord and God. I love you. Today, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Just his heads about his eyes are closed. If today you prayed that and you feel like something changed in you, maybe you hadn't prayed that prayer before, or, or maybe you'd prayed it before, but something felt different in that moment. You feel like, man, there was a before and after for me. I made a dedication. I recommitted my life in a way that felt significant and I want to be aware of and be supported. And just his heads about and eyes are closed. That was you here today and it was a significant moment for you. Would you just raise your hand and let me know? Just now, when you raise your hand up nice and high. So, John, today, that was, that was me. Prayer meant something and landed. Awesome. Just give it a moment longer if there are others. Awesome. It's good. Hey, if, if that was you or maybe online, we'd love to support you in, in your journey. Like I said, we believe that we follow Jesus for ourselves, but we don't follow Jesus on our own. One more time, just as, as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed. We're going to finish with a song of worship. 
And I just invite you as you start to look to the year ahead, is this dream Sunday, you stand and go, man, I'm called to be a part of so much. And sometimes I don't know what that looks like, that our first response would simply be to worship. So Jesus, today I meet you as my Lord and my God. I'm going to follow you where you go. I know that you have freedom. I know that you have life and life abundantly. I'm going to follow in the ways that you have. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.